Good evening and welcome to The Dark Art, horror with heartfelt appreciation from two lifelong fanatics. My name is Marin Mascaro. And my name is Jake Conrad. The Dark Art is a double bill, and this episode is all about recognizing great follow-up films, movies that move beyond the tired idea that sequels suck and deliver genuine thrills and compelling continuation stories to enhance franchise experiences. First on our list is Annabelle Creation, the unsettling origin story of how a child's toy became the fearsome devil doll of the Conjuring universe. And next, we check in with classic slasher Freddy Krueger in Wes Craven's New Nightmare, a blend of fantasy and reality that adds a creative metal layer to the Nightmare on Elm Street series. As a disclaimer, we must warn you that the dark art contains in-depth discourse on the subject of horror films, and therefore may contain descriptions of situations deemed frightening, traumatic, and inappropriate for children. And as a secondary warning, addressing the major plot points of these movies doesn't come without major spoilers for the films discussed. So as they say, enter if you dare. So this is the sequel to our original taping about sequels. Yes, we, uh, we had a technical difficulty, and now we get to find out if our sequel can be better than the original. Um, we, we have already, we already thought we had recorded um, the section of the podcast about Annabelle creation. I thought it was a great conversation. I felt great about it. It was fun. And then it was kind of like when you look over and, and you realize that you, you forgot to hit record. I had hit record, but um, the computer had locked up and we lost everything. So the good news is nobody but us will know if this sequel is better than the, uh, than the original. And we're not going to tell anyone. That's the plan, right? Yeah, that is the plan. <laughs> But for, uh, I guess we should uh, review our rules. You know, we had a couple of rules this time around, which was that we each picked a film and it had to be a follow-up film in a franchise. Couldn't be the original, one of the follow-ups. And then the next rule was it needed to be the best of the follow-ups. It didn't necessarily have to top the original, but it did have to be the best of everything that came after. So this is how we landed on a prequel and a sequel that is also not always considered canon, if you will. But we thought these were the best that they had to offer, so here we go forward. Would you like to introduce Annabelle Creation? Yeah, um, I, I had chosen this movie. Um, in fact, we, we did a lot of work on, um, on this podcast because... I know for me, we went. I went back and rewatched a bunch of movies, and in both the worlds that we chose, in both uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street and the Conjuring slash Annabelle world. Um, so Annabelle Creation came out in 2017, and just a, a little synopsis about it: uh, former toy maker Sam Mullins and his wife Esther are happy to welcome a nun and six orphan girls into their California farmhouse. Years earlier, the couple's seven-year-old daughter, Annabelle, died in a tragic car accident. Terror soon strikes when one child sneaks into a forbidden room and finds a seemingly innocent doll that appears to have a life of its own. Um, 
So the Conjuring universe. Yeah. This is a really good set of films. And the Conjuring itself, the original, will always have a special place in my heart because I saw it while I was deployed. And it was a very interesting situation because it was in the post quote unquote movie theater, which means that it was a, a large tent with a whole bunch of, you know, folding chairs and <laughs> an old school projector. You know, kind of like how you see in, in older movies, people go in and watch movies like that. But what was really fun about it was because I'm deployed. I'm in the army. I'm with a bunch of really tough men. Really brave men who said, yes, I'll die for this country and I'm here to do it. I'm on my way to kick some ass. And then they're, you know, like hiding under the chairs because of ghosts. <laughs> they're seeing <laughs> on screen. It was pretty funny to see well, people actually screaming <laughs> at the jump scares. People getting up and walking out because they didn't want to see it anymore. It was it was hilarious. And I'm sitting there with my little popcorn like, yeah, this is my jam. Where are you guys going? You were ready. They weren't. You had, yeah, you had so previous I, yeah, training. Was, yes. Well, the, they, they must have missed those training exercises. <laughs> the cool thing about The Conjuring for me was um, it, it was just such a exciting and special movie to me because I think because of the Amityville Horror. I, I had um, read the Amityville Horror before I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to watch it. My parents, uh, I didn't really have access to that movie for quite a while. But I did have a library card, and I was a voracious reader, so I read um, the, and, and the book itself's written as if it was a, a factual account, you know. And so when you're a kid, I don't know how old I was, but not old enough to be reading the Amityville Horror, it's just like a real family. And the movie does a great job of that, too, the original movie. Um, so I think The Conjuring... Um, I think that's why it grabbed me so much because it felt like it felt like that movie and it was um, you care about the people they do a great job making you care about this little family and they've set it up to where because of you know poverty they can't leave that house and then I think that's been a, a pretty great um, they've been able to keep that going through the whole series to a lot of times with a horror movie, you, you have to explain. So many times people will get upset at a trope like, okay, there's a ghost in the house, just leave the house. Well, the I think this universe, Conjuring, Annabelle, they create a situation in each of them that make it really hard. It, it, it makes it believable that the people can't leave the situation. And Annabelle creation is, is perfect with that. You have the most disenfranchised people you have um orphans that really aren't they're kind of getting older they're not necessarily wanted at this point um the the odds of them being placed compared to a newborn are almost zero and mm -hmm. they're they're you know they've kind of hit the jackpot they they don't they they don't have anywhere else to go and they've been welcomed into this large and really nice uh, farmhouse with some nice people and um, so it really would take a lot for them to be to to leave, mostly because there's nowhere to go, but also because um, it would just be so hard for them to find something else. So 
Um, I think that's they an did, excellent point. Yeah, I think they started out with that. So the director of this movie, uh, David F. Sandberg, he got his start with the short uh, Lights Out that um, that ended up giving him the opportunity to direct the movie Lights Out. So if you remember that short, it went around the internet and it was awesome. I mean, it's very simple. I think his, I think the woman that he ended up marrying was, I don't know if they were married yet, but played the woman in that um, short. And it was great. It was creepy. If you remember, she turns off the light and there's a shadow in the doorway and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. that he, he was able to, you know, f- uh, extend that into a full movie and become a director because of it, an actual director. And, and I think he's gone on to do the two Shazam movies. And I think the most recent Shazam didn't do that well. And he, he's come out since and said, I'm done with superhero movies. I'm going back to horror. And I kind of wish he'd never left. I think people who, there's a, there's a select group of people that can make horror and that they should make horror. And then the writer of this Annabelle creation, he wrote the original Annabelle uh, he wrote um, the screenplay for It and It Chapter 2. He wrote the screenplay to The Nun that's in this Annabelle Conjuring universe. Um, he wrote um, Annabelle Comes Home, which is a really solid sequel that we almost did as well that comes out after um, it takes place with uh, the... Uh, War- what are the, what's the name of the family that the Warrens? Warrens. Uh, there we go. Ed and Lorraine. Yes. Yep. And that's another thing you mentioned, because in all these stories, we they create a family for you to care about, but they also have a secondary family for you to care about, Ed and Lorraine, and then their daughter too, who is introduced in Annabelle Comes Home. So yep. that's, you know, we chose. Uh, you know, a follow-up film within a set of follow-up films because, as you know, Annabelle, the Annabelle trilogy fits into the Conjuring universe. And uh, I had really gotten behind on these films, and I don't know why, because they're all so good, but I watched them all in chronological order. So I started with The Nun, and I ended with Annabelle Comes Home. So that's, well, Conjuring 2, actually, but... That's neither here nor there. It was a great experience to watch them all in chronological order because, you know, we have the Annabelle trilogy, which starts with the original movie, then we do a prequel, and then we do a sequel. So, and we could have I just watched as it easy, prequel, original, sequel. We could have really picked any of these movies. I think they're all really good movies. Um, and the only reason why... I pushed for Annabelle creation is I just think it is the scariest as of all of them. I, I actually think that the way that uh, the director uses light and um, the subtlety of, of uh, the music, he, he, it's not all as much CGI in my mind. It is old school scary. And that's what I'm going to go with every single time. I think the others are great and have different aspects to them that are fun, like the the crooked man in Conjuring Two that's tall and skinny and you know. But when you go with oh, that was school, horrifying. I saw that when I was pregnant and uh, had nightmares for weeks. Right, but for me, I mean, everybody has a flavor they like better, and my flavor is always going to be the old school, subtle poltergeist type um, Amityville horror, where it's the uh, more 
practical effects, things like that. And I and I think there you know there's still some CGI in this, but it doesn't feel that way. Um, and so I I really dug this. I think like when I was watching it in the theater, it was actually pretty scary to me. Like I would probably I don't know if I was like any of the soldiers next to you because I've kind of been around the block a little bit, but I was like, especially there's a scene where um, a little girl goes down in the in the elevator. What is it called? A dumbwaiter? Oh, the dumbwaiter. Oh, and it is, it is terrifying. It is literally terrifying. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in it. But to, to talk a little bit about the, the characters in this and some of the scary scenes, um, I think it is interesting that, um, I think the actress's name is Lulu Wilson, um, who was in um, we, the, uh, Ouija Part 2. She, she kind of stole the, that movie. And so I think that, was, that came out prior to this one. For her to be in such a big horror movie and have most of the scenes of it where she's uh, possessed and things like that, and then to still have her in this movie was interesting to me. I, I mean, maybe I'm the only one that watches all these movies that, that sees those connections, but I think they, that happens quite a bit. You know, you get actors that are used time and time again in horror like some of the ones we've spoken of in other podcasts but i think it was a, a, a positive thing um you have we always have to mint new scream queens you know that's true what's the name of the the girl in the wheelchair so the girl remember. in the wheelchair was janice janice that's right. she was um she was a really a really sympathetic character my heart just went out to poor janice I mean, I've had I've had experiences with being bullied before when I was a young child, and I certainly didn't have challenges in the way that Janice did. So it was tough to see, you know, an outcast among outcasts, and how when she talked, it almost seemed like even as a young girl, she's given up. Yeah. Like she told Sister Charlotte when she began to suspect that there was a presence in the house, "It's after me." Cause I'm the weakest and I cried. That was sad for me. Yeah. And it, but it was realistic bullying. The, the girls weren't terrible kids. Oh, yeah. They didn't take it over the top. It's what happens with kids. They, they point out the, the obvious, um, you know, that's one of the things that is, are good about kids in some cases. I mean, they, they just say and, what they're and thinking. It's, what happens with girls in that dynamic you know the older girls are always the cool ones and all the younger girls want to hang out with them the older girls make their choices and the girls who don't make the cut are the ones that end up on the outskirts it's it's very realistic i gotta say uh when i was first watching this movie at the beginning i was not a fan of carol who was the oldest girl and the pretty <laughs> one and the one who was kind of the ringleader mm-hmm <laughs> The, Regi- the Regina George, Mean mm-hmm. Girls reference in case you, you don't watch the girly movies, but... Um, <laughs> I've seen that one. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was thinking to myself, you know, if Carol gets it, I don't think I'm going to be that sad. But <laughs> then you, Carol's in a very perilous situation with that t- just terrifying scarecrow creature, and I didn't want her to go. I was not ready to say goodbye to Carol, yeah. and I thought I was going to be. So I think that's another testament to the relationships that they're showing on screen. I didn't want any of these girls to go, 
They were a family. Well, and some great writing here. Like you said, you have a group of girls that are unfortunate in a terrible situation that may look like they finally got a break. But even within them, you have one of the girls who's going to be the last on the list for adoption, most likely. She has to walk with braces she uh, or crutches. She's in a wheelchair. And because of that, she ends up pretty much isolated. All the other girls pair up in, in bedrooms in this big old farmhouse. And she ends up on her own. And... Um, that's how the scary stuff begins to happen, basically. Um, and and, and it, wow, some great scary scenes with Janice. Definitely. When she when she goes into the room and discovers Annabelle, which, by the way, I don't know who thought that anybody would ever want this doll, but that doll is was creepy when she was brand new, and as she gets more and more beat up and more and more evil. <laughs> You look at her and you think to yourself, nobody would want this thing. <laughs> I don't know a single little girl who would look at that terrifying face and say, yeah, I want that. Yeah, let's let's wrap it up. Bring it home. That's that's for me. Well, my I, mom I, has know. a bunch of porcelain dolls in like a hutch in one of her guest bedrooms. And the, all the kids fight to not have that room because they don't want the dolls staring at them. They all talk about it. And these are some of these kids are now adults, pretty much. And they're like, nah, I'm not doing that. And so she always talks about who's going to inherit different things from them. And like I'm like, I don't want those dolls. I don't want them moving around the night and whispering and stuff. No, I don't, I'm good. So Inviting demons into the house and stuff? Come on now. Seriously. Like... So, yeah, you've got Annabelle. You've got a, a demon that is basically controlling Annabelle and moving Annabelle around. I think that's done in such a great way. I mean, there's you just see shadows at first, but um, like the claw marks um, on the on the floorboards. And um, what about that closet in Annabelle's room? Or, I mean, that anytime oh, you yes, find a room was... with a closet in it that. You know, whatever's in there, if somebody's pasted Bible quotes yeah. and yeah, Bi Bible, Bible pages, pages in walls. every yeah. I, no, that's when you burn the house down and leave. And again, if they could, they would, but they're they're orphans. You got to give them a break on this. So, so that was a really. By the way, yeah. did, have you ever been to that Dreamscapes exhibit that's in the the Utah art exhibit? No. It's there in one of the malls. No. Because I because th I think I saw you at one you know a picture of social media you at one of the art shows so I thought you might have gone. There's a room that has uh, pages pasted all over the walls like that, and of course that's what I'm thinking when I see it. And my daughter's really excited and wants to go in it. I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> go ahead. If Annabelle's in there, we're gonna have some problems. <laughs> well. A while back, you were talking about visual horror, which is one aspect of this movie that I was incredibly impressed with. But let's think, for example, so we have the mother who's sick and bedridden. She's played by Miranda Otto, who, uh, you know, another nerd side of me played Eowyn in, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Love her. Phenomenal yep. actress. So she plays this, this sickly bedridden mother. 
and this woman wears half a doll mask on her face, a la <laughs> Phantom of the Opera, and it is, again, it's, it's it's creepy. Why would anyone do that? It's so creepy. And I it's mean, to the point where, you know, the other girls are trying to conjure her right. as one of the, you know, little games they're playing in the dark. And she, uh, what happens to her is not great. Let's just say that it's haunting. No. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it, there's... Yeah, it's not, it's not great. It's a great practical effect. It was shocking. Yeah. You know, in a good way. When you're when you're looking for when you're looking for scares, that's the kind it, it delivered. Well, and again, we talk a lot about I talk a lot about bad child actors, and how they really ruin the the magic of a movie for me. So it's like when a, when there's a good child actor, we don't notice that they're a child actor, and I think you get, I think that they had a they had good casting and good actresses playing these these orphans. That helps a ton. I mean, you, when you actually see children as people instead of child actors, that's tough to do, I would think. It's true. And I would say, as you, know, as you noted before, Lula Wilson, who played the role of Linda, was a major standout in this movie. But everyone else was really great, too. The actress, um, Talitha Bateman, who played Janice... She did a wonderful job. The scene where she first tries to run from Annabelle and she uses the the moving chair that's the meant chair to assist that, that her up and down up the, the stairs. stairs. Yeah, what do you call it? And I as she's trying to that. use that to get away. Oh, so good. I, I just, yeah, the, the motorized chair, but yes. at the push-pull with that and finally how she's abruptly taken and then dropped to the ground. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a there's, class. There's some great scenes in here. The... The scene when she's in the bunk bed is damn scary. I mean, it's great. So, uh, I again, I feel like um, if if you if somebody hasn't seen this movie, it's probably not likely they're just going to go rent it unless they just. I I guess there's people in the world that if something's on, they just watch it. I, I've never been that person. Movies are kind of a religious experience for me a little bit where like, like there'll be a movie like, I'll be like, I'm going to watch that, but I'm not ready for it. Like I have, I like, I care about these things way too much. And I know that I try not to bug anybody about it who, you know, who, who live with me. And, but I really do care that much to where even, especially even if I'm going to rewatch a movie, like there are movies that I want to rewatch, but because like they get me or they put me in a place emotionally or I have to like be ready. And, and so I I don't think that that's normal. I think that's probably it's, I I know people, I have friends that make fun of me all the time about it. Like they're like, Oh boy, here he goes, you know? And I don't want to be, I saw a meme that's like, you know, that you're a movie snob. If you've ever used the word cinematography in conversation, I'm just like, shit. <laughs> I oh, mean, well, well shit. tough. Yeah, like, <laughs> yes. but I care. I literally, I really care about it. And I'm interested, not because I'm going to try to make a movie. I'm not, I just love, love it. So I, I don't think anybody would just pick this one. I wouldn't think that, think that they would go, oh, wait, which I haven't seen any of the Annabelles. Let's watch that one, the first one, you know. But as I said before, this is a movie anybody could watch anytime. 
I think it's accessible, you know, to because you don't really need the backstory. It's just good on itself. And and movies that can do that, especially sequels, that's why I think this was this was a, a, my choice because a sequel that can stand alone, have somebody watch it, understand the whole history and 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 get a glimpse of the whole um, universe that that these sequels create and and do it all within that one movie, especially a prequel. That's cool. And it takes really good acting, really good writing and directing. I think this does it. So that's kind of my my Jerry Springer take on 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 this show. <laughs> <laughs> ah yes, man, we're gonna miss Jerry, but <laughs> yeah. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. It's a phenomenal standalone film on its own. A huge contributor to the entire franchise, to the entire universe. I mean, really, really, I just can't say enough good things about it. It was fantastic. But I would still never have that doll in my house. No, no. I mean, (laughs) I I mean, remember, I think we talked about this in another podcast, but like hearing my brother's Teddy Ruxpin start up when we shared a shared bunk beds, it's haunting. That should never happen. Like. (laughs) I mean, and it didn't start up and just start reading a story. It was like the slow, you know, like, I mean, where I'm, I just left the poor kid. He's nine years younger than me. I left him to die and I boogied out of that bedroom. I mean, dolls, I've watched too many movies. Let's be honest. But. Well, and, and that's, that's how my Furby met its death too. We talked about that one also. <laughs> It's like, oh, you wake up in the middle of the night and wake me up. No, you're gone, man. That's not... you're gone. Okay, so we'll, we'll go ahead and move on to the next film, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Worlds collide in horrifying ways in this installment of the long-running horror series, which finds director Wes Craven and actors Heather Langenkamp and Robert Englund all portraying fictionalized versions of themselves. As Heather considers starring in another Nightmare film, Her son, Dylan, falls under the spell of the iconic disfigured villain, Freddy Krueger. Eventually, Heather must confront Freddy's demonic spirit to save Dylan's soul. So this was your choice. So, I chose this one, yes. Um, I will admit, I'm a Freddy fangirl. I, I love the Nightmare on Elm Street series, which is interesting because I came to it relatively late in life. I didn't see the first one until I was a freshman in college, and the reason I saw it is because one of my sweet mates in the dorms at the University of Utah had to watch it for a film class she was taking. And mm. she was scared to watch it alone, so she asked me if I would do it too. And I just thought it was such an amazing concept. I latched onto it so quickly because... We talk about the isolation horror, you know, element in horror, and what better isolation than your dreams? Because you have to sleep. They've addressed that in every one of these nightmare movies. You have to sleep. You cannot just stay up indefinitely. And when you're in a dream, it's just you. So a villain that can come in and attack you when you're vulnerable like that is just such a an amazing horror concept. I know I overuse that word amazing, but it really is. 
Well, you know, so, yes, I love over Freddy. the... I have all the movies. I have the box set. I have the Halloween costume. I have the Springwood High School hat. I've got the glove. I've got it all. You know, I... Well, over the course of our podcast, you've thrown me a few curves. Uh, some of them are, are true confessions of, of Anthony Hopkins and things like that. I actually have to confess that <laughs> I don't really like the nightmare movies and I'll and I feel bad about it but I gotta stick with it, it you know not everybody likes chocolate not everybody likes vanilla it's just I think it's okay we can still coexist but and especially when it comes to this movie that we watch but the first nightmare movie I totally stand by I'd watch it anytime it's so fun I love the fact that that Johnny Depp's in it. I love I love everything about it. I love the traps that they set up. the The sequels are where I just I I, I got bored with it. I, I it felt, um, in fact, when Rick and Morty made fun of of Freddy with uh, Scary Terry, oh. it it made me laugh so hard because I thought, yes, yeah, Terry. that's exactly how I feel about the the sequels. With Freddy, it was always some catchphrase. They had to, it, it, it got more and more, just like sequels are bound to do, it got more far-fetched. I mean, the, I do love aspects of it, don't get me wrong, I've watched them all. In fact, just like you did, I went and watched, and some of them I had to scan through, because I'd seen them before, but it was almost too painful. That Dream Child one is painful. Uh, I think that's the the fourth one, maybe. Oh my head! Uh, that, yeah. that that was rough. It's the okay. it's the fifth one. And Is it the fifth? One? I don't. I know. will I will admit that even though I am a huge fan of this series, that <laughs> is probably the series low. My apologies to Whit Herford, who played the Dream Child. I had a class with him in college, and he is such a he is such a cool, humble guy. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of the class, when, you know, the professor goes around and says, say something interesting about yourself, that's not even what he said. He didn't tell us he was an actor. It was his friend. He's like, Wit was in the dream child. <laughs> well, that's cool. And I then mean... he's like, dude, he's like, dude, shut up. And then he's like, he was in Jurassic Park, too. He was the kid at the beginning that said raptors aren't scary. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're with the, the talent. We're... Yeah. Where, okay. So yeah, yeah, I had a college I, class with him. Awesome guy. Shout out to Wit. I am sorry to say that the fifth one is the series low, but you are amazing, sir. I'm using the <laughs> word again. Well, and I apologize, but I, I can't. I can only apologize so much. I, I to me, Freddie. St- after the apologize. second, third, like fourth, like. it becomes a little bit. To me, it reminds me of Chucky a little bit. Where like it's fun, but I wouldn't say that it's good. <laughs> at least parts of it to me were they they didn't scare me at all. Like I wouldn't say even the first movie. I never felt real fear. I think the the first movie when uh, I, I the gal that's um, wrapped up in plastic. I remember that part bothered me and and scared me a little bit. I do like the dread like you're describing where. You can't, you have to sleep. Everybody has to sleep, so you can't escape it. I get all that, but it just doesn't, it just has never clicked for me. So I drug my feet a little bit to, to watch this movie. I think I'd actually started watching it 
um, years ago, and I thought, what is this? This isn't even a, a Friday the third. I mean, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. It, it felt so bizarre. I thought maybe I was watching like a, I, I don't know what I was watching. And so when I went back and, and watched it this time, I actually liked it more than I've liked any of the other movies except for the, the first movie. I, it was fun. I thought it the, the meta aspect of it, the fact that Wes Craven's in it, the fact that these actors were playing themselves as actors, I, I enjoyed it, and it turned... It took everything that I didn't like about some of the other sequels, and it made it fun. And I know you're going to want to talk about some of that, but that was my experience. I, I had to I had to say it from the beginning that Freddy is a little bit of a scary Terry to me, where I just it doesn't scare me. <laughs> but. over the years where it talks about how Freddy took on a different persona over the sequels. I mean, he, the original Freddy is a child molester and murderer who was murdered in his own home by the parents of Springwood who burned him alive in his own house because they felt the police were too slow to act. So let's talk, I mean, we talk about that. It's awful. Yeah. That's the worst kind of person. Right. This is never somebody that you should follow and like. <laughs> but as time goes on, <laughs> he becomes such a charismatic presence. And almost, you know, when when you get into some of these movies where you have lulls and the action is a little bit weaker, seeing him on screen is almost a relief because you know you're going to be entertained at that point. It's weird. Right. I, I fully understand that that is not a concept that sounds good and i'm sorry to anyone who doesn't like that i'm probably not explaining it well but you know freddie is kind of like he's he's like these popular villains newsweek even once you know talked about him as the most popular cinematic maniac since darth vader and i know that because that's in my nightmare on elm street encyclopedia so <laughs> I like that you have the encyclopedia. (laughs) That's why I feel guilty that I don't love it as much as you do. But for that reason, I'm taking a little bit of a backseat. I can say that this movie was fun for me because of the meta aspect to it. I thought it really, it it, it doesn't even feel like a, a sequel because of how they take you out of the world and into our world. And it's still happening. So, um, I thought that was awesome. Well, out of, and of course, a lot of people point to this as the logical predecessor to Scream, with the with the self-referential elements yeah. and how Wes Craven really enjoys creating a piece that does that. So that it is, it's fun. People like it. And when Wes Craven made this movie, he wanted to make a movie about twenty-five to thirty-year-olds. And how they, as parents of young kids, would see Freddy now. Because, obviously, when when Freddy first appeared on the scene, they were young kids. So he wanted to invoke some... that change. Like, okay, well, this is what he meant to me now. I mean, this is what he meant to me then. Now that I'm a parent, this is what he means to me now. And we talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the podcast, because not only did Freddy change over the years, but we changed. 
So things that were absolutely horrifying to me as a younger person are not so much now. When I, after I first started watching the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, I mean, I knocked them all out, like one right after the other. Went to Blockbuster, really aging myself there. Went to Blockbuster, <laughs> ended up one right after the other. And so when I saw New Nightmare at age 18, there was a scene at the end with Heather, who has now once again become Nancy, and her final showdown with Freddy, where Freddy tries to eat her son. And yeah. his mouth stretches open yeah. huge, and he goes to shove the boy's head in his mouth. When I saw that, my my soul left my body for just a moment. I was so scared. <laughs> But now, but now seeing it as an adult and haven't seen it multiple times over the years, you know, on and off. But I think the last time I saw this movie was maybe five years ago. But I looked at it and I'm like, why did I always look away at that part after this? This really is not that bad. It's a, well, really, co it's a really cool and well done effect. It's a fun effect, it, yeah. And I do like but, that about even some of the other um, sequels. There, there's a, a, I wouldn't say cartoonish, but like an aspect to some of the deaths and how he can change what he looks like and become part of the scenery and things like that that are really inventive and fun. Um, I wouldn't say to me that they've ever been scary, but they are. They're, they're, you're always waiting. How is he going to show up in this person's dream? Uh, in this case, I think... I, and I read a little bit about like the thought process behind this. I don't know if you noticed, but they, you know, the Freddy in in this movie, he's I, what I understand to be what Wes Craven had in mind in the beginning, a more serious and evil and you know violent Freddy, without the catchphrases to say you know oh bitch you know that kind of thing, <laughs> like Scary Terry might. <laughs> but uh, he he, I, th I thought that was interesting because like you said um, bringing this character into the real world um, what we know about Freddy from the sequels even could be almost like that was a dream we had and this is the reality the real Freddy and, and yet they still th those became the same person toward the end of the movie. They he still had where his mouth could stretch large enough to eat a child and things like that. Um, but I thought they really played with like what we remembered as of Freddy from the movies, and then they tried to make it you know as if the, if this was happening right now. He he might have some differences in how he dresses a little bit and what he looks like, how what his makeup looks like, but. It's still him, but it's even more visceral, I think, in this movie. Perfectly said. I, I agree 100%. And I do think that one of the reasons that this movie shines above some of the other sequels, most of, you know, I picked this one, obviously, although I will admit it was a real tough choice between Dream Warriors and this one. <laughs> but the reason that this one shines is because we get the terror aspect back from Freddy because one of the things that was really novel about Freddy, as you mentioned, was the very inventive ways that he came after people. And I think that's one of the reasons why people like the Saw franchise also, because it was the morbid curiosity of seeing how the death would unfold. 
And I know that that's something that's always been really interesting to me about the Nightmare series. Like, oh, he's going to pull out your tendons and make you into a marionette. Or he's going to turn you into paper and slash it a bit. <laughs> or, you know, like, he's going he's gonna to grab you through a TV and push you through it and break your neck. Like, it is yeah, really fun. But I really liked in this one that they did a, an amazingly accurate homage to Freddy's, one of his most iconic kills that's in the first movie, and that's of Nancy's best friend at the beginning of the movie where he drags her up the wall and over the ceiling. Oh, yeah. They got an actress that actually looked kind of similar to that first actress as well. Relatively low body count in this movie. Yeah, there was, how many? Four or five only? Something like that. Yep. Well, and I don't even know, I think we can only count actually two. Because oh, really? we never got confirmation if the first two were real. Because we know that oh, was in a dream. That's the first true. Two special effects guys. Yeah. Okay. So, really, it was Heather's husband and Heather's bestie slash caretaker slash. Uh, I'm not really sure what that woman was in relation to Heather, <laughs> but she was a very close person. Close friend. Yes, yeah, something. Yes. I. Uh... So. I, I think, though, that the they did need to spend some time with this new world we were in, you know, because we're now, they, they really, they changed everything by saying, this person was the actress in all those Freddy movies, just like they do with The Scream, like you said later. Um, they talk about, they reference the Scream movies that are based on the killings, from the prequel, from you know, and it gets it, it gets all turned around in your head sometimes, uh, especially when they use different actresses, um, in the in oh, the yeah, like when, yeah when they have Parker Posey playing Gail Weathers, who's yes. played by Courtney Cox, and, and right. they have Carrie Fisher razzing them both, and she's like, "You want to tell me who you think who I think you look like?" You know, <laughs> it's really fun, and I like you said, I, I think it started with this for sure. Um, to have Wes Craven in his own movie talking about the writing process and it was just so meta and so fun. I mean, I don't know how many movies he plays himself in, but it can't be, I don't think, any. Yes, I um, I could be wrong, and if anyone out there listening wants to uh, correct us on this, uh, please feel free, but yes, I don't recall seeing Wes Craven in another movie playing Wes Craven. So, but yeah. another thing that we that we should uh, shout out here because earlier when we were talking about horror franchises and how people who get into horror kind of tend to uh, that's their wheelhouse uh let's talk about uh miko hughes or Miko. i apologize for mispronouncing the name the little kid who also played gage in pet cemetery yeah, I and like the whole time I was watching, I'm like, I've seen this kid, and then to go back and look him up and see that he was Gage, who, to me, um, he made that pet cemetery. This was the the older from the, was it the early '90s that that came out? Yes, and yeah. he's a fantastic actor. He's he's done a great job in everything that he's been in. I haven't seen him since he was a small child because I saw him and. 
both of the horror movies we mentioned, and then he was also in Kindergarten Cop, the one who gave Arnold Schwarzenegger that great tip about anatomy. Yes, and I remember that. <laughs> and then he was also in Full House for a long time playing a recurring character. So it was fun to see him cropping up, killing it in horror, just like he always does. I, you know, I would love to see him uh, come back in, in something else, play in another horror movie. I think that would be fun. Very would be cool. preferential. They want to do another Freddy movie. That might be the thing. Hintity hint hint. You know. <laughs> well, I I thought it was interesting that they referenced a lot of real life experiences in this movie, according to some of the trivia and history I read. That um, I, I guess the that whole scene on the on the uh, talk show was based on a, on something that actually happened with Wes Craven and Robert England um, when they appeared on a talk show that was dealing with um, violent horror movies and, and how it can affect children. And I guess uh, the, the kids oh, all started... Ambushed. Yeah, they started shouting, Freddy, Freddy. And, it, and I think that's where he pulled that whole scene from. And then, if I'm not mistaken, um, Heather, the 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 actress Heather, is, how do you say her name? Lag- Langenkamp. Langenkamp. She really was stalked at one point, and I think they pulled some of that in to the phone call she was getting. And I mean, that'd be a little creepy if that was me, knowing that I, that had actually happened to me. And now they're making a movie about it, but maybe that's cheaper than therapy. I don't know. It could be. And uh, she's, because of this part, you know, she's become an icon in her own right. I really like the scene with the limo driver when he's like, oh, hey, yeah, you're the girl. You're the girl from the Friday movies. This is my, the best part of my job. I get to meet all the stars. And she says, I'm hardly a star. And he's like, no, you're, you're iconic. She is. I read a book this past, uh, this past year. It was called... Oh, man, it, it, it's going to fly out of my head. But it was about, uh, oh, it was called The Final Girls Support Group, and I hear it's actually been optioned for a TV show on HBO. A merger, we'll see if that continues to happen. But in this book, there are six women who all come together to support each other because they've been victims of iconic killers. And it's pretty clear that they're all the big ones. They're not named specifically... But there is a character named Heather who was stalked by someone named the Dream King. So she is an icon, and for better or for worse, she's associated with that. It's funny that Johnny Depp also got his start in this series. It even says, introducing Johnny Depp. I know. In the original. And he again, was the victim of one of Freddy's more notable kills, and people don't really seem to associate that with him. I mean, I know he's had a very long body of work and recently some more controversial things in the media, but I still, I'm still always, you know, being the horror girl that I am. What about Freddy? And, yeah, the... And that cropped football shirt. (laughs) Yeah, you see, you paid attention to that maybe more than I did, but 
Um, I, wasn't but it you, the TV? You didn't, you didn't care about Johnny Depp's crop football shirt? Well, <laughs> maybe I did. I did have the, a post. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't have a poster of him. But <laughs> um, So there were the kills in here were, there were fewer. But that end scene, um, I liked the, the final scene where they're in. Now, that was that 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 was a combination of her and her son's dream that they were supposed yes. to have been in at that point um and then there's mirrors um there's scenes like the stairs that come straight from the first movie um where she's trying to climb up the stairs and stuck in the stairs like she was in the first movie but it's it's definitely more it's elevated because it's like gross i mean more mud like mucky um so they did they took they they really went back and called back to that first movie and the end of the movie and i think again since that's my favorite of all the all the the nightmares um i was happy they did that i mean to me if if with within reason i'm okay with skipping a couple of those other ones at least the the fourth and fifth ones. I, I just really struggled That's with them. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so I'm glad they didn't yeah. reference them. They didn't seem to reference them at all, in my opinion. And maybe I was wrong. Well, and you called this out earlier, and this is something that I really like. Years ago, the, the same year, 2013, when The Conjuring came out, I also, in that makeshift movie theater in Camp Air of John Kuwait, saw the remake of the Evil Dead movie. And people were not very nice about that movie. They panned it. They talked so much crap. But I read a review that really nailed it because it said, I think more people should give this movie a chance because if you think about it, this is the movie that was intended to be made the first time. They just yeah. did not have, they didn't have the budget. resources. Yeah. So, and I think that's one thing that they also did here, was that now that they had the clout and the resources and the money to back it up, they yeah. went forward with some elements of the first movie and did it better this time. And it not only was it a good callback and reference, but it was, as you said, elevated which I really enjoyed. Well, that scene on the freeway, I mean, that had to cost a lot of money in visual effects and and practical effects. I mean, they they couldn't have they could no more have done that for the first movie. I mean, they they just didn't have any anything um any of the money or the the resources to do it. So, yeah, I think that that was fun because you the you're still pulling in the same actors, um, having her, the actor that played her dad come back into the, into the movie and start to act as if he was her dad still. All of that was really meta, really fun, um, and added a ton to, to, it, it makes you want to go back and watch the first one, just like a good meta show does. Well, and you mentioned the freeway scene. One other thing that I thought was a nice, you know, little elbow nudge was uh, the fact that Freddy's hand, when it appeared, it came up between his legs just like it did for Nancy in the first movie when she was yeah. in the bathtub. 
That's so, right. So we get to see, you know, Freddy. He's he's new and improved, but he's still the same old guy. Well, I, I was actually talking about the scene where the where her son was running across the freeway, and the the trucks were crashing all around oh, him. Oh, that freeway and, scene. And that was fun Freddy's. because that's what happened to Gage yeah. in Pet Cemetery. He was killed by a semi. Um, so I, that's, I, I thought that was fun too. I mean, there's all these little references, but, um, I, I just meant that that scene was pretty elaborate and they, they couldn't have done that in, it, it did, it wouldn't have fit in the first movie. It, there's no way they could have pulled that off. So to have kind of the, a bigger, more lifelike, realistic sets and, and situations, because this is our real world that this was set in. It wasn't, um the world of the movie anymore so and i don't know if you saw i've seen the new scream i think they do a good job in this newest scream taking the characters to a bigger crazier place which is is new york city uh, i mean it at, at first when i heard about it i'm like oh boy this is like um jason going to jason takes manhattan or whatever that one was but the truth is they just are enlarging the world of scream to where you're not safe anywhere you're not safe on a trip to new york you're not safe i guess you're not safe in new york anyway <laughs> to some degree yeah probably, but, probably not <laughs> but i think that they're they're building off of you know west craven's prior work which which this is an example of they're just making it bigger and more real and re referencing the prior work um and I think they pull it off in that new movie as well. So it's what it's one I'd recommend. And of course, we can't talk about Wes Craven properties without giving a shout out to the man himself, horror legend Robert Englund. It was so great to see him as his real self in this movie. Yeah. And also, I really enjoyed seeing him in Stranger Things in this uh, past season. So. Yep. Uh, he's great, and he's. He's he been belongs. he's had cameos in so many horror movies. Um, he he's just a, he is a king of horror, um, and so even as I I can badmouth some of the sequels a little bit, he's he's an icon, and he's he's created for some people he is horror. You know what I mean? Um, so I I respect that. Well, and also there's. Freddy versus Jason, which is a movie that is so over the top. <laughs> yeah. It's it's so bad it's good. Even my brother, who doesn't like horror, every time I see him, we watch that movie just so we can have a grand old time. Oh, it's so <laughs> funny. Yeah, no, it, that's a so good party funny. movie. Have that on the background uh, at a party. And, I mean, everybody will stop at certain points and, and just laugh. I mean, it's so fun. So. Oh, yeah, and all the comments. I mean, the last time Matt said, the one thing I've never gotten about this movie is that the writers seem to want us to root for Jason when Freddy kills one person in this movie and Jason kills 25. <laughs> he's, he's a, I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, simple, simple math. 25 is greater than one. I mean, why are we so scared of Freddy? He's not really killing anybody. Uh oh well, he has a little more panache, I think, so that's that must be oh, yeah. why. He he really laid it on thick with the bitch in that one. 
<laughs> All right. And that's a wrap for tonight's episode of The Dark Art. Thanks for tuning in as we talked about some of our favorite franchise follow-ups. We sincerely appreciate you letting us add a bit of darkness to your day. Until next time, friends. <laughs>